Well, join me now in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're walking through 1 Peter. Eventually, we'll even get into 2 Peter, Lord willing. But we're walking through this series we're calling Thriving in Exile. And we've entered into a section over the last several weeks where Peter's reminding us that we have a responsibility as believers in Christ to take a posture of submission in several key areas of life. Remember, it was a couple of weeks ago, we saw how as believers, we are to be inclined to submit to the governing authorities. Then we saw last week in our passage that we are to be inclined even to have a submissive posture at the places where we work. And now Peter continues that same train of thought into our very homes. And so we're going to have a clear word for husbands and wives here in our text. Now, did you know that God, the creator of the family, has a clear pattern for our homes? In fact, one of the great places where we see this, 1 Peter 3, where we're going to come in a moment, but even at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, hear this. Listen to God's design for the family. Genesis 2, 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So there's a pattern for our homes and isn't it a beautiful pattern as the Lord gives us to us. First of all, notice this with me, that marriage involves a leaving. So a young man's gonna launch out from the home where he grew up with his mom and dad, he's launching out. He will then bond with his own wife, this involves a physical bonding. It's a spiritual bond. They set up a brand new household in the sight of God. But I want you to also notice this. This is not controversial. This has always been true. Millennia of Christians have known this until the present day that this marriage design is always a man and a woman in marriage. See it with me again. Listen to these words. Genesis 2 Verse 24, just listen now, matter of fact, this is how God has revealed the family and there's no exception throughout all of the 66 books of the Bible. This is always the truth. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And now we come to 1 Peter chapter three and we see how do I live this out in my home? And so some helpful words for us here. 1 Peter three, verses one through seven. Likewise, wives. Be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So here's a word from God through Peter to both husbands and wives, but as the Spirit guides Peter to write, he starts with the wives. So let's look at this word to the wives. He starts off this way, likewise wives. Building on what he's been talking about, this, this attitude of submission that all believers are to have, he applies this now to wives. 
As believers are to submit to the governing authorities, as workers are to submit to their employers, likewise, wives are to follow their husband's leadership. And immediately, Peter applies this in an evangelistic context. He gives us the situation where there's a Christian wife married to an unbelieving man and how she's supposed, supposed to relate to him with the hope that her husband is now going to come to Christ. Look at it again, the latter part of verse 1. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives. A similar word is found in Titus 2.5. Paul wrote to the wives and said they're to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. Catch this, that the word of God may not be reviled. And so that's a theme we're picking up here in 1 Peter. Peter's very concerned about how you and I as Christians live out our faith in him before a watching world. Remember, we saw this in chapter 2, verse 12, chapter 2, verse 15. We want to live in such a way that we silence the critics by this godly life that we're leading here. And here he applies this into the marriage relationship. Here's a, a Christian woman, a pagan husband, first century Roman empire. Hey, what about him? You might have an opportunity to win him to Christ without even speaking a word if you live out this life in front of him. Now, by the way, this is not an endorsement of Christians going out and marrying non-Christians. That's actually prohibited in the scriptures. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, we're told not to be unequally, unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So we're not to go seek that out. But there are situations like this. So first century, Christianity is very new. And you have two pagans. That's how they married. They didn't know the Lord. They were worshiping their idols. But by the grace of God, the gospel has come into a home. And for the time being, the wife is the one who has responded to the gospel. What should she do? And the scripture tells us elsewhere, even in 1 Corinthians 7, she's not to leave the marriage, but here we're told, oh, she's to seek to win her husband to Christ. But even here, yes, with her testimony, but even without a word by her living this life and submission being a part of that. Now we talked about that word submission, and I'm anticipating for you a little discomfort with that word. We hear that word submission and we say, that's a loaded term. When we pull up the word submission, immediately somebody's feeling like, wait a minute, if, if there's submission involved, somebody's going to be inferior, somebody's about to be demeaned, and that, in fact, is not the case. That is not biblical submission, as we're going to see as we unfold this here. But what does it mean for a woman to be in subjection or submissive to her husband? Well, a couple of words to the women here that Peter gives as the Spirit guides him. First of all, wives are to be supportive of their husband's leadership. A wife is to be supportive of her husband's leadership. We come back to God's original design for the family, echoed throughout the entirety of scripture. We see that there is, there's an order here in the home. Have you noticed God loves order? Even in society with how we relate to government, even in a workplace, even in the home, God has designed this order. And a part of that order is that a husband is to be a loving leader of his family. He is leading with kindness and grace. And then the wife is to give deference to this leadership in her life, to be supportive of it. We see it here in 1 Peter 3. We have alluded to it also in Titus 2. But it's not just there. This teaching also is in Colossians 3, verse 18. Colossians 3, 18 says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Or in Ephesians, notably, verses 22, chapter 5, verses 22 and 24. 
Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Goes further and says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So this teaching comes in the context of all of scripture where we know from biblical teaching that men and women are though absolutely equal. So we come into our marriage relationship, a husband and a wife, absolutely equal in the sight of God. Equal, but here we find again affirmed, but differing roles. We find that in the church in some respects, and we see this in the home. So when a husband and wife come together in their marriage, they are not to be fighting it out for dominance in the relationship. Something's broken down at the very beginning. God has already assigned that primary leadership role to the husband. And we're going to come back to that huge responsibility that is for the husband in just a moment. But wives are called to relate to their husbands in a way that Peter describes here, a respectful way and a pure way of life. And it's going to be a powerful testimony in a home where there's an unbelieving husband. Can you imagine this? If you're a first century pagan man, you married your wife, you're both unbelievers, you're living that life that all the community is living, and your wife becomes a Christian, this, this new religion that you're trying to wrap your brain around. What has happened? You know this man is thinking, I have just lost my wife. This is not the woman that I married. This Jesus has taken something from me, whoever he is. But upon watching his wife and how she's now changed from the inside by Jesus, she's taking this posture now to be very supportive of him, to love him, to encourage him. He has an opportunity now to see Christ at work. Now his mind shifts. Wait a minute. I don't think I lost something here when Jesus entered into my wife. I think I've picked up something very precious here. And now he has an opportunity to be one, in a sense, without a word by her testimony. By the way, this is the testimony of Lee Strobel. Perhaps you know that name. Lee Strobel now has become quite famous as a Christian apologist defending the Christian faith. But he was very, a very proud atheist as far back as high school. He was already calling himself an atheist that far back. He graduated, went on to college, majored in journalism, worked for the Chicago Tribune as an investigative journalist. He tells his story in his book, The Case for Christ, where he talks about when his wife suddenly became a Christian. He said it, it really, it really uh, threatened their relationship. It was leading them toward a path toward divorce. Here's how he described it. He said, I didn't want to be married to a Christian. And I thought she was going to turn into some holy roller or something. As he elaborates about what he found offensive about the whole idea of being married to a Christian, this proud atheist, he thought she's going to become a boring prude. I'm going to lose my fun-loving wife. And, and, and so he just watched her with great disappointment. But then he said this, I was then pleasantly surprised, even fascinated by the fundamental changes in her character, her integrity, and her personal confidence. And of course, if you know his story, he goes into this years-long investigative search for these claims of Christianity. Could this actually be true? Sees the change in his wife, but what about this death and resurrection of Jesus? Does the evidence really point to the resurrection being factual? And of course, you know, the rest of the story came to be thor thoroughly convinced his life was thoroughly changed by Jesus. But listen, his changed life started with a changed wife and how beautiful. And that's what Peter's alluding to here. And so a wife is to be subject to her husband, being supportive of his leadership. There's another word for women here before we get to the men. And that's this truth. Wives are to display an attractive inner beauty of gentleness and tranquility. Wives are to display an inner beauty of gentleness and tranquility. Look at it again with me, verse three. 
Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So of course, not a prohibition against jewelry and hairstyles and nice clothing, not a prohibition there. But the teaching is that that's just not gonna be the source of your beauty. That the Lord has done something in your heart, in, a, in the heart of a Christian woman, that her beauty is coming from within. There is a profound, deep down life change that's beautiful, that is the source of her real beauty. Now, external beauty is also good. In fact, that's even biblical, we'd say. We can find passages where husband and wife are complimenting each other's good looks and God made people that way. That, that is awesome. It's just you can't build a marriage on that alone. Maybe many of you have gotten to know somebody and, and your first assessment was, wow, she's pretty. But then you had to amend that after spending some time with her. Wow, she's pretty mean. You know, she's pretty shallow. She's pretty selfish. So what you thought was going to be wonderful, you found out, man, I would not want to spend a lifetime with this. And so beauty is great. It's awesome. God designed that too. But, but notice what we're called here to, to, to an imperishable beauty. Don't you love the words? This beauty is going to last. You can build a life on this. Peter specifically calls out the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. So as we just think, what does that mean? Well, in part, it certainly means that a Christian wife is not to be oppositional toward her husband. She's not to be defiant. She's not to seek to be difficult to lead. And so just like all of us as believers, if we're walking the walk we're called to as Christians, this is a spirit-filled walk. That means everybody in the equation is to be fully submitted to Jesus Christ, not sort of, not just, not just a Sunday thing, but fully surrendered. So the Christian woman as well, spirit-filled, and she has this now calm confidence in Christ as Christ is living in her. Now she has the ability that she can have a deep assurance within her to where she can actually follow. All right, I'm going to trust God in this pattern that he's established because I know him. I'm fully surrendered. I, I can actually step into this pattern that's here. And notice here it says that this is precious in God's sight. How so? I think it's because this reflects great faith in the heart of a Christian woman. To trust an imperfect man to lead their family, that's, that says a lot about her trust in Christ. And, and we know that faith pleases the Lord like nothing else. And so a woman to say, I'm trusting you, Lord Jesus, in this arrangement to follow here. So there's a calm assurance that God finds beautiful in her. One scholar said it this way, quiet confidence in God produces, a, produces in a woman the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, but it also enables her to submit to her husband's authority without fear that it will ultimately be harmful to her well-being or her personhood. And Sarah is given as an example here. So, so here's a word to wives, and now Peter has a word for husbands. And we see this in verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And now catch this, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Notice now the shift goes to the believing husband. 
The scenario we had first was we had a believing wife, unbelieving husband. How does she handle that? Now we pivot here and we have a word for the Christian husband. How is he to relate to his wife here? And we're told several things. First of all, he's told to live with his wife in an understanding way, meaning to live with her according to knowledge. In other words, he's to be thoughtful in the way he relates to his wife. Second thing we're told as husbands is to show honor to your wife. So this honor and respect is going both directions. He's specifically told to honor her, but she is called here a weaker vessel. And we have to ask the question, all right, what is Peter here? What's he talking about here when he calls her a weaker vessel? I think certainly immediately we go to typically weaker physically. So here's the idea that the husband is not to lead his family with brute force. It's not because I'm bigger than you and meaner than you that I'm going to get my way here. That's off the table. That's ungodly here. But he's to honor her as the weaker vessel. It could also indicate that typically she may be more delicate emotionally, that he's not to treat her roughly or harshly. He's to live with her in an understanding way. Certainly we also could, as we just meditate on this, she is assuming a weaker position. If God has assigned the leadership to the husband, then she's a bit vulnerable in this arrangement if he's not treating her well. Certainly weaker vessel does not mean anything to do with her intellect because we know that women are equally intelligent, can be more intelligent, has nothing to do with your gender. Of course, it also does not have anything to do with her spiritual strength. She can be quite a spiritual powerhouse as she humbly walks with Jesus. She may be stronger in the faith than her husband. So it has nothing to do with that. So here, as we just apply it, we certainly know this. He cannot abuse his leadership that God has entrusted to him in the home. We recognize that for the woman, this requires great faith on her part to follow a mere man like her husband. And the man has this great responsibility to care for the heart of his wife. He has to guard and protect her heart, her very soul, her body to protect her from harm, to never be the source of harm to his wife. That's, a, that's two things. But then we look at another point here. And that is we're told that a husband is to affirm, affirm the equality of his wife. Notice what he says here. They, speaking of the wives, they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So you're not better than her. You just have been given a different role in the family. You are absolute equals. You are joint heirs. Listen to how Wayne Grudem, a, a biblical scholar describes this. Since you are joint heirs of the grace of life, reminds husband that even though they have been given greater authority within marriage, their wives are still equal to them in spiritual privilege and eternal importance. They are joint heirs. Here as elsewhere in the New Testament, authors couple their treatment of differences in roles of husband and wife with an implicit or explicit affirmation of their equality in status and importance. So a husband who's leading well, understanding way, giving her honor, affirming their equality in Christ, and then this, he's aware of God's discipline if he mistreats his wife. I mean, this is a sobering word here. Did you catch it? If you don't treat her well, your prayers will be hindered. Treat her in this positive way so that your prayers may not be hindered. Here's a strong word from our father looking out for the wives, lest they be mistreated by these husbands. So it's a warning that your prayer life is on the line if you mistreat your wife. 
And so we need to take that to heart. Your access to God, your fellowship with God damaged if you're not taking seriously and leading well in your home. You're not in a position for blessing in your life if you're cutting yourself off from this communion with God because of the way you're running over your wife. So husbands, let's pause a minute. Let me ask you, do these four words describe you in the way you relate to your wife? Let's start with that word understanding. Are, are you leading your wife, loving your wife in an understanding way? How about that next word we saw in our text, honor? Would your wife be able to say, yeah, I feel very honored in the way he relates to me? Or how about that word heirs? Does your spouse know that you see her as a joint heir in Christ? Then how about that fourth word, prayer? A guy might be here going, I hardly pray anyway. I don't care if it hurts my prayer life. Well, that's a glaring problem if you're that. I mean, you, you, this is God and you have time, you have an opportunity to spend time with God and your lifeline is God himself. You should be praying dominantly about your family, your, your wife's well-being, your children to come to know Christ and grow as disciples. This is your prayer life. And then the other things he puts on your heart to pray about. I mean, if you mess up your prayer life, you've messed up something very essential in your life. And so now let's talk about this. We've talked about the role of women. We've talked about the role of husbands. And now let's just talk about some application points together. What's this look like as we live it out? Well, first of all, ladies, there's a practical word for you. I think related to dating as you anticipate the possibility of God's will for you to marry. This has an implication of the type of guy you would, you would date. If, if you size up a guy and, and you think, I don't think he shows the potential to be a trustworthy leader of a family. He, he may be great looking or whatever else he's got going, but I, I can't see myself trusting his leadership. Be best to back out of that relationship early because here's the pattern that God's given. This is a blessed pattern for a family. And if you know early, I, I just don't have that kind of respect for him. You wanna disentangle yourself. Here's a second practical word for us, just as we apply this. Men, love your wife in a Christ-like cross like way so that she will find it very easy to want to follow you. So notice here's the context of marriage. Love's going both ways. Honor's going both ways. And in the context of that, then this role of submission given to, given to a wife. And so, man, if you're, if you're walking with Christ the way you and I want to, empowered by the spirit, we should be very easy to follow in our homes. In counseling through the years, and by the way, I love the privilege of counseling with folks. And, but occasionally, and I'm thinking far back, I'm thinking about a time uh, sitting down with a couple of couples through the years where I got the sense that the husband, the husband wanted me to drop the hammer on the topic of submission. You know, I got that, got that, got that vibe. And, uh, and I, this is a biblical truth. Of course, I'm not gonna deny what the scripture says, but we're just getting acquainted. I'm just starting to hear about the problems here, but he's wanting me to go ahead and play the submission thing. Like, come, come on, you know, pastor. That's why, that's why I brought her here. But I'm gonna tell you, I don't take the bait there. I don't take the bait. It's biblical, of course. We're gonna get there, I suppose. But, but if, if she's not willing to follow, if that's, if that's a big piece of contention here, I would want the husband to do some soul searching first, right? Like, so why is your wife balking at the idea of following you? Why is it such a terrible thought to follow you? And it may, we may get to the end of it and discover, wow, that's just a lack of faith on her part. She's just really resisting biblical truth. But let's don't start there. Let's come back first. You know, are you an uncaring husband? Is that it? You, you've not demonstrated 
that you really do care about what's good for her? Are you selfish? Are you boyish? Are you just like a grown boy? And she can't, she has no confidence. When you've led in the past, has it always been to her detriment? Well, that didn't go well. You know, he got his way and I really lost out. That's not good leadership when the people you're leading feel like they're losing all the time. So we're, we're gonna start there, soul search there. Men, you're called to love your wife as Christ loved the church. And we'll close with that in a few moments in Ephesians 5. But man, that's, that's what we're called to, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And that's not like you're on reserve for that moment 10 years from now when somebody breaks in your house. That's not when you rise up and lay down your life. Until then, I'm going to be a grouchy, selfish jerk. But if somebody ever breaks in, I will grab the baseball bat and I will charge the door. That's not, that's not here. This is day in, day out, loving her. This is Jesus. Jesus is the model for us. And so we're, we're called to that. And listen, that guy who's, who's following Jesus, that guy's going to be easier, easier to follow here. So let's just say this. If either of you is feeling demeaned and dishonored in the marriage, you're doing something wrong. Don't call that the biblical pattern. If you're feeling demeaned and dishonored, that's not the biblical pattern. Something's, something's off the rails and we'll make a correction there. Here's the third point of application. Submission to leadership is not embracing an inferior status. We've talked about that, but embracing submission is not embracing an inferior status. So, so let's talk about this a second. We see this in the life of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God the Son, the eternal second person of the Trinity co-equal with the Father, co-equal with the Spirit. And, and yet, when Jesus came to there, did he not submit himself to the Father? He was not diminished. His essence didn't become less. He was not ever inferior, but he took the role of submission during his ministry on the earth and now exalted to the right hand of the Father. His submission did not make him inferior. So it is not true that taking a role of submission, subjecting yourself does not make you less than the person to whom you're submitting. We also see this in the life of Jesus in his childhood. Remember, his parents were Mary and Joseph. And there was that time in his childhood, during that season of his life, where he submitted to them. He's far greater than Mary and Joseph, mere human beings. Here he is, God who took on flesh, and yet he submits to them. Though knowing full well, he's greater, he's God among them. And so to be submissive is not at all to declare, I'm less than. So we understand we're to be giving honor. Once again, if someone's feeling demeaned and dishonored, you're doing something wrong. You're not applying this appropriately. Here's a fourth word of application. Submission to leadership does not mean submission to abuse in marriage. So if someone ever invokes this passage and says, and I can treat you any way I want to, and you just need to deal with it, they are sinning on all kinds of fronts. They're, they're sinning by abusing you, but then to have the nerve to invoke God's word, no such teaching here. Listen, if you're being abused in your marriage, your call is 911. Let the authorities hold your spouse accountable. I'm speaking primarily to women. If, if you're being abused, you, you are doing right to call 911. We can figure out the marriage later, but make that call, be safe. In fact, you can even call your friends at the church and we'll rally to you and, and comfort you through a very difficult trying time. But listen, it's also to men. I've known men who have been beaten by their wives and, and my advice to, to them would be the same. Call 911. You should not be beaten. This is a crime being done to you. You don't have to subject yourself to that. 
So another point of application, submission to leadership does not mean that you blindly follow even into sin and degradation. So here, the context here is a godly man and woman, disciples of Christ, first allegiance to Jesus himself. And if you have a husband says, hey, we're gonna go do these things, a godly woman says, I can't do that. Just like we resist the governing authorities when they tell us to sin, I can't give you that. I wanted to obey you in all things. I wanna live a quiet life here, but I can't give you what you're demanding of me. Likewise at work, if your boss tells you you need to cheat and, and steal from the customers, I can't give you that. And likewise in the home, if you have a husband who says, I, I demand that we do this, that's where you say, I have a higher authority than you. The one that put you in this place of authority in our relationship has called me to a higher thing. I, I can't give you that. I won't follow you into sin. I won't follow you in bullying. I won't follow you in abuse. Another word of application is this. Submission to leadership does not have to do with cultural expressions of handling domestic duties. So some of you can think back maybe to your grandparents and how they did marriage. And maybe like my grandparents, they did it pretty well. I have some great, great examples, great memories. But maybe you had a grandfather that had a really gruff way of dealing with your grandmother. He kind of barked out orders and she just took it. Part of their generation. She just, that's what marriage is for her. Listen, you, you can't impose that on this text. That's not what we're told here. That's something that wasn't lived out well. Don't think that that's what this probably is talking about. Not, not at all. There's honor here in the relationship. We're treating each other well. We're, we're living out this Christ-like life with each other here. Or how about this one? This might be a temptation. Maybe your grandfather and your grandmother, they, they had an arrangement. Your grandfather came home and just parked it. And your dear grandmother scurried till she went to bed at night doing everything. And you think, hey, I think maybe that's what this, no, this is not talking about that. You as a husband and wife, you get to negotiate how you're gonna handle the duties of running a house. And both of you may be working, you gotta figure this out. Don't, don't impose that on this text. Like, well, you just gotta do everything. No, that's not loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Listen, both of you can wash dishes. Both of you can cook. Both of you can change diapers. This, is just, this, this text is not about that. You guys have to work that out. So we don't impose a cultural expression on this text. How about this? Submission to leadership does not mean you are a silent partner. When the spirit of God through Peter says that it's beautiful to have a gentle and quiet spirit, that's true. But that is not saying that a wife has to be silent and that she has nothing to contribute. Listen, both of you bring strengths into this marriage. You're to help each other. I love that beautiful wording in Genesis 2:18. Going back to that original design, Genesis 2:18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone I will make him a helper fit for him. So your joint heirs, you've been gifted by the spirit. You're to be a blessing to each other. I would say even accountability partners, you're to serve Jesus together. One of the great examples in the Bible of a husband and wife serving, this was on Paul's church planning team. You had Aquila and Priscilla. I love that. Both of them serving the Lord and they're noted in the scriptures throughout the New Testament. So then as a couple, both contributing into this marriage as equals, but with differing roles, you're speaking together. When you face decisions, you're collaborating. You're praying together about a decision before you. You're seeking counsel together. But there may come times when you're both unsure, like I'm not really sure what the path ahead is here. We're not against each other, but I don't know. And, and the wife may then in that occasion, she may defer. Well, you know what? You make the call. God put you in that leadership role. You make the call. So through our marriage, through these years, um, my goal has always been for Joy and me to be on the same page always. 
I, I just, I don't want to lead in such a way where I'm making all the shots. I, I want us on the same page. So we're talking about everything, every big decision in life we've talked about together. So to go serve overseas, that was a decision. We sought God together to whatever, whatever churches we've served in coming to Staples Mill. What, what is God leading us to do? And it's been so wonderful to be on the same page as we step together in all these things. But on a very few occasions, we've had those moments where we didn't know. We're like, we're seeking God for something and didn't know exactly what he wanted. And Joy has turned to me and said, all right, well, you make the call. You're the leader. Can I tell you, I don't like those moments. Do you hear the pressure of that moment? <laughs> and she's not meaning and like, I'm going to watch you fail. She's not doing that. What it is, it's a profound statement of her faith, not in me, but a profound statement of faith in Christ. Like, Lord, you know, you're the leader here. We're both surrendered to you, but you've set up this here and we, we don't know exactly where to go. So I'm going to trust that you're going to speak through Jim. Very imperfect. She knows me better than anybody. She knows the imperfections, but I'm going to trust in this moment here that we're going to come through this and, and you're going to speak this way. So, so a great statement of faith in Christ. Can I also add a word here about not being silent partners in your marriage? I'm going to come back to that word accountability. That, that a husband should invite accountability from his wife. In other words, I hope no man here would apply this passage at home and say, I'm beyond question. I do what I wish. Nobody can question me. Unbiblical, unwise. God has given you a partner to help you lead this Christian life, to help you finish well. And so if you're wise, you, you would live as an open book before your wife. In fact, alarm bells should be going off in your marriage if, if one or both of you is like, I got hidden areas and you, you can't come in here. No, now I invite it. Anything about me, any, any place I'm going, you have a right to know everything. And my devices, you, you're in them as much as I'm in them. You, you look at anything. Nothing is hidden here. That's a key, I think, to finishing well in this very challenging life. One final word of application is this one. The point of your marriage is to point to Christ. The point of your marriage is to point to Christ. And we're going to close here in Ephesians 5. I want you to hear these words. Ephesians 5, 25 and following. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church." Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Listen to this. This mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You see, the whole point of marriage is to glorify God. That our marriages as we imperfectly, but guided by the spirit, live it out this way that our marriages are to be evangelistic. People, especially in our home, ought to see a picture of the love of Christ in the church. Those who see this marriage most, but even a watching world should see, okay, here's a picture of the love of Jesus for the church. As I see this lived out between two human beings. And so I want us to here, take this top topic of marriage. I know you've been applying it to your homes, but let's also make one other point of application here. Oh, let's look at Jesus. This Jesus who did 
love his church so much so that he gave his life for the church. Jesus, who did leave his heaven, lived a perfect life on purpose to go to a cross where a sinless one would die for all of us sinners. We needed that atoning sacrifice. We needed to be reconciled to God. And the cross was so critical, essential for that. On the third day, Jesus was raised from the dead. And this grand invitation he makes and is still making today, that if you'll acknowledge your sin and you'll look to Jesus and put all your hope in Jesus, ask him to save you, he will save you. He did it for me. He did it for many of us here. He'll do it for you. But it starts with humility. I need to be forgiven. I need Jesus to cleanse me. I know the death on the cross was essential. There's no other way than what Jesus did. And he was raised from the dead, validating that. I'll trust Jesus. But also, would you let this passage and all that we talked about remind you that there's no joy like being in full submission to Jesus? Yes, trust him with your eternal soul, but there's nobody more trustworthy than Jesus to lead your life. Why would you not put everything under his rule? Jesus, I want you to save my soul, but I want you to lead my life, every aspect of my life. I want to be in full submission to you. Today, would you put your faith in Christ? Would you trust him as your Lord and as your Savior? Let's pray together.